com slash alerts. I'm Mike Closey. Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Raghav Vajula, the Chief Information Officer at the Federal Trade Commission. Raghav, welcome back to the program. It's great to have you back. Jason, it's great to be here. Nice to see you again. It's been a couple of years since we talked, uh, roughly two, a little bit longer than two years. There's a lot to catch up with. And I'm going to start with one of our favorite topics, the cloud, right? seems like we always got to talk about cloud computing when I talk to CIOs. So let's discuss your current strategy around cloud and moving applications and systems to the cloud. We've done some really great work. A couple of years ago, you might remember, we put out a, a BPA to really you know, target some vendors and help us uh, adopt cloud uh, services pretty opportunistically. And we've had really, really good run with that. I think in terms of measuring our success, you know, one thing we learned about is you know, we talk about moving applications to the cloud and things like that. And what happens is when you start adopting cloud services, you discover, oh, there are other things that we used to do, even with paper, that we can, you know, move out into some of those cloud services. So I think for us, where we're currently at is uh, we've learned to start measuring, you know, what we have in the cloud and what we have on premise, just based on simple, hey, how many servers do we still have left? You know, how much workload are we still managing on premise? that we should start targeting move out for the future. And I say over the last five years, you know, we've easily eliminated more than half of our uh, internal footprint as we move more and more of our workload into the cloud. So I think we want to pursue that. We really want to be as aggressive as we can over the next couple of years. And I think the, the key measure for us is, hey, if there is ever uh, a significant event, you know, with our on-premise services, we just want to have a an environment that's uh, uh, positioned in a way that, Hey, 99% of the agency work can just keep on humming, keep on continuing to work. And uh, obviously that reflects a lot of you know, ongoing discussion, how we move our security into the cloud, how we move so many of the other critical services into the cloud. But uh, we feel really well positioned to go ahead and do that over the next couple of years. Now, last time we spoke, a member, you said our goal, mm-hmm. 60 to 70% of all applications in the cloud. So I got to ask, are you close to that goal? Is that is that goal kind of changed a little bit based on what you just said, which is, as we did yeah. more, we realized the more we can do. Correct, exactly. And I, so I think in terms of raw numbers, I would say we, we, we're above those 60, 70% numbers. You know, the thing that we're really running into right now is there may be one or two platforms that we have left that we want to move in mass into a new platform in the cloud. And whenever we do those activities, we want to be kind of, I want to say, a very thoughtful in how we do that. Because in many ways, we're trying to not only move that service into the cloud, move the workload into the cloud, we want to do a lot of business process modernization as well. One example we can give is, you know, you know, we recently upgraded uh, one of our services in the cloud to accept outside counsel's, you know, submissions in our e-filing program. And as we're learning to do more and more with those other parties that we work with outside the FTC, we're learning how to build more and more services for us to do work, uh, transact work electronically through these online services, and we never have to touch our data center. So it's not just a reflection of things that we can do internally, but also things that we can do externally with a lot of our key partners in law. Do you believe that over time you will still need a data center or do you hope to move everything to the cloud and not have to worry about a data center? I think there's always going to be something that we have to route back. And one reason for that is there is still a healthy amount of security agreements that are across government that rely on a specific IP address. You know, for those kinds of security arrangements, hey, we're always going to have to have a little bit of a footprint at the data center to make sure we manage those transactions of data appropriately. 
in addition to that, I think we're always going to want to just hedge our bets a little bit. There's always going to want to be a component of data that we want to retain internally. Uh, if for nothing else, it used to be, I think, a couple of years ago where you'd have this uh, sense of confidence, oh, if something's in the cloud, we'll be just fine. Don't have to worry about recovering the data or anything like that. Well, you know, it turns out that, hey, we still have to have some of those concerns and have to make sure we take some mitigation for that. So, so there are a couple of things that we still want to do, but I would say if you, if you rephrase the question, hey, can HD conduct nearly all of its work in the cloud? Yes, absolutely. I think that's definitely that's definitely the way we have to start thinking. And that actually is a great segue because the strategy that we talked about back in 2019, all of a sudden the pandemic hits, everybody rethinks how the cloud and the as a service model and things of that nature. And, and even the business process re-engineering piece, I think that tends to be the most important part when we talk about quote unquote moving to the cloud. Give me a sense of, of how the pandemic and how over the last year and a half or so has really changed your focus on, on the modernization more broadly than just the cloud? There are a couple pieces there. So one is, I think we were really well positioned before the pandemic hit to, to adjust to having everyone go to telework. We had done a lot of key steps into upgrading our network. We'd done a lot of key things into properly equipping our resources so they could work remotely with the equipment we had issued them. So that transition of working into a mass telework environment I felt, you know, we, we really prepared for it in advance just by the nature of our other modernization activities. And I think we executed, you know, pretty well. Once we got into that environment though, a lot of other things changed pretty significantly. You know, one is I think if you read all the CISA alerts, you can just read through them. And there are these constant attacks on any, on any vendor's VPN. It doesn't really matter which one you pick. And there's some uh, example of how some VPN got compromised. At the same time, we're going through a period where, hey, it's getting really hard to secure replacement equipment. So there are all these things that we had to kind of revisit and, re and uh, understand again and how we're going to issue that. So for example, uh, we learned how to ship all of our equipment to our customers, you know, wherever they were. So, because they couldn't come into work to pick up their laptop or pick up whatever equipment that they could. So we had a great partnership with our administrative functions to make sure we could execute that, to make sure everyone is connected. And at the same time, you know, we're operating our facility in a safe manner. So that's one huge piece of, of adjustment that, you know, as much as, uh, you know, we have all these stories about, you know, virtual environments and being successful that way, there are a lot of logistical things that change for all the agencies that we had to get really, really good at. Going back to the VPN, virtual private networks and all the CISA alerts, hey, we just put in more and more emphasis on how we monitored our network and looking for every kind of instance of, you know, who is an untrusted actor in our network and really forced all of us to kind of revisit. We've all spent, uh, every agency has invested a lot of money in these new cloud services and these new cloud, you know, monitoring services. But we really hadn't you know, spent a lot of time actively using them day to day, just for every single thing you can imagine to make sure everything is operating as expected. There are things that you go through an authorization just to test it out, but to actually be in there in the midst of operations and learning how to do everything in a way where it's not incorporated as part of your, your culture and your day-to-day -day operations, that really forced us to go much, much faster uh, than we might have otherwise without the pandemic. That's what I've heard many times is the, the urgency, right? The old mm -hmm. don't let a good crisis go to waste, but it yep. showed you that you can move faster, that you can be successful at that. And I want to touch upon the logistics part just for a second too, because 
one of the things you're able to do is ensure those laptops are exactly what you want them to be. That you've, I'm sure you're always doing that, but now it was even more important because it wasn't like the person was down the hall and they'd always come back if something wasn't fixed Absolutely. or if there was a problem. No, test them and test them and test them. Is that part of that business process re-engineering? And, and, and then did you use the cloud in some way to, to kind of say, okay, we can now put this, as you said, security piece in the cloud to 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 Yeah, I, I think that's that's a that's a great point. I think our our sense of uh, urgency for a quality work product, you know, increased pretty pretty dramatically. Because as you pointed out, you know, we don't want to have someone to come back to the building to get support. And uh, uh, we were pretty fortunate, I think, between having gone through some recent updates for equipment, you know, just prior to every just prior to the pandemic, and then along the way, learning how to keep our equipment up to date and we we actually spent a great deal of time learning how to keep everything up to date and patched while everyone was working remotely it was something that we knew we had the capability to do before the pandemic it was something that we you know actually did pretty routinely but at a scale of the entire agency everyone working remotely all the time then suddenly the criticality of getting every update deployed out to all your equipment in the field even if they're not in the building uh, that became more and more critical for us to be really, really good at and be able to monitor effectively. Internally, we also had the same problem. They had made us come back with our laptops. And I'm like, why can't they just do this you know, externally? And the, our IT guys said to us, that's what we're getting to, trust us. So <laughs> it's interesting that, that you know, it's, it's again, it's, it's that urgency of needing to do it. The other piece I just want to touch upon briefly is when you talk about the VPNs, was there anything you needed to do, generally speaking, to get your network ready? Did you have to do any upgrades? Were there any, a lot of agencies I've talked to had to buy more VPNs or buy more licenses. Was there anything on your end? For us, because we had done a fair bit of modernization planning prior to the pandemic, we actually used the, the event as a way of testing all those changes that we'd put into the network. Uh, I think there was, a, there was without a doubt, a sense of uh, a little bit of anxiety. Hey, is all this gonna work? You know, it's one thing to say that you, you've tested something and then another thing to say, oh, we're actually going to try to have everyone at the agency go home on the same day and test all those network modernization plans you've been talking about for a few years. You know, I think in, in that sense, we, we actually had a lot of stuff in place and ready to go uh, when that moment happened. Uh, obviously, we had, we had to tweak things along the way as we realized how people were using it, using the network. Uh, one of our interesting examples was, you know, we would have people who are spread across the country. And, you know, we had to learn again, like how, how are different network paths being taken across the country when people are coming in, you know, through our various virtual private network uh, locations. So there's a little bit of that along the way. But in terms of, you know, having the equipment ready, having the, the engineering, you know, ready, uh, we were very fortunate in that regard. Uh, so it really became a spur of the moment live test for all of our uh, plans and designs and more than anything. It sounds like you guys made it through the pandemic pretty well. It's good news. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest today is Raghav Vajala, the Chief Information Officer at the Federal Trade Commission. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Aruba Networks on Federal News Network. Duo Security, now part of Cisco, is the leading secure access and multi-factor authentication provider. Duo comprises a key pillar of Cisco's Secure's Zero Trust offering the most comprehensive approach to securing access across IT applications and environments from any user, device, and location. 
Duo offers federal-tailored product additions delivering device visibility and continuous dynamic authentication with FedRAMP-authorized security controls at their core. Learn more at Duo.com. That's Duo.com. Patrick was way behind on his IRS taxes. I was in way over my head. The total amount ended up being somewhere just over $30,000. $30,000. Then the IRS came to collect. Started getting letter after letter. A lien had been filed against me. They were going to basically like hang me completely out to dry. He had to do something. That's when I reached out to Optima Tax Relief. Patrick's life quickly got a lot easier. It was very easy. Pretty much hands off, you know. They picked up the ball and ran with it. And how'd it go? I couldn't believe it. I had to ask like two or three times. I saved an incredible amount of money. How does Patrick feel about Optima? Couldn't be happier. They definitely helped me. Optima Tax Relief, the best place to call. They're the best in the business. Do what Patrick did and call Optima Tax Relief for a free consultation. Call 800-354-2840. 800-354-2840. 800-354-2840. Relief. Agencies are under cyber attack. That's undeniable. To respond, you must have knowledge of who and what's on the network and reliable tools engineered for advanced persistent threat detection. That's why Fortinet is offering complimentary access to its endpoint detection and response solution, Forta EDR, proven to block zero-day attacks and provide deep visibility into application processes and data flows. Mitigate cyber risk to your agency today with free access to Forta EDR. Contact Fortinet Federal at Fortinet.com. Cyber attacks on federal agencies are accelerating. The rush to online services, SaaS apps, and the explosion of remote work has created a perfect storm for data breaches and security hacks. You need solutions that prevent attacks from reaching the network perimeter. Menlo Security, the only secure web gateway with an isolation core, protects web, SaaS, and email users without slowing down business. Learn how isolation protects productivity and takes malware out of the picture. Visit MenloSecurity.com. Federal News Network. Latest updates for the armed services and defense contractors. Get our DOD Reporter's Notebook. Subscribe at Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Aruba Networks on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Raghav Vajula, the Chief Information Officer at the Federal Trade Commission. Now, Raghav, we're talking last segment a little bit about security. We, we talked about the pandemic and the impact of the pandemic. And one of the things you, you mentioned around security is this idea of actually using the tools that you have. So I think the, the question that comes to mind is, okay, did you use the tools you have and what'd you learn from using those tools? So the, uh, the two pieces there, you know, one is when we, when we think about uh, what are the things that we normally do to feel good about our network, uh, it goes back to a, a lot of stuff that's in, in, in statute, in uh, you know, OMB mandates, everything, all these things we do are that around the FISMA process. And the FISMA process, you know, it came really into, into being under the assumption with all the miscontrol testing that we talk about, that the zero-day attack is kind of an outlier. And in fact, if, you, if your network is compromised in some way, it probably reflects some, something that you should have done normally, just everyday practice, and, it, and that's what allowed your network to get compromised. And what we're finding out, especially over the last 18 months, is you know, the zero-day attack is not an outlier anymore. It's it's kind of a, a normal thing that we have learned that we, we have to prepare for. So for us, you know, CISA does a does a really phenomenal job at outlining and in every one of those alerts, how did the attacker get in? You know, what methods they use to pivot? And what we've been spending a lot of time on is 
okay, let's understand what the attackers do, just like what our customers do. You know, how are they you know, trying to get around our network? And let's set up all of our tools and resources to make sure we can pick up, hey, if someone you know, has somehow managed to get into our network through a, through a vulnerability of a, from a zero day attack, we got to be able to find out what are they doing before they be able to do anything. It's uh, taking us down a path where, you know, we really want to have you know, much more visibility and much more ability to take action on any indicator of, oh, there's an account that we're not, it's not acting in a way we normally expect it to. There's an asset that's being used in a way we're normally not used to seeing, you know, getting used. Uh, it's forcing uh, our entire organization to really revisit uh, a lot of roles and responsibilities that might have been in their past that it was so focused on, you know, the FISMA way of looking at securing our environment, and instead, hey, looking at how, you know, people actually use it. And from, you know, from that perspective, you know, we're really excited about, you know, how we're going to use software-defined networks, how we're going to use a zero trust uh, type services to really help us, you know, filter out signal from the noise. You know, the reality is, is that these attackers are going to leave very, very tiny footprints. And uh, these new capabilities for uh, zero trust and software-defined networks aren't just going to help us reduce network latency and all these things that people complain about and trying to get to cloud services in the past. They're really going to help us identify those tiny instances where an attacker is trying to do something so we can we can root them out before they're able to take any kind of advantage that they might have gained. That's the thing about the zero days, and, and I'd love to hear your take because CISA has put out three directives, emergency directives in five months. You know that better than I do, probably. It's kept you probably and your and your security staff very busy. It's so much of that you don't know what you don't know. And, and I think that's where agencies need to go down that path is to deal with the unknown unknowns. Absolutely. And, and I think we have to go revisit a lot of, uh, you know, the adversaries know a lot about us. And we don't realize that they probably, just by the simple fact that, you know, we talk about taking advantage of a privileged account. Well, it's relatively easy to find out who the administrators are for just about any company in the world because they're going to put it on LinkedIn. In fact, there are user groups for LinkedIn, you know, administrators from Microsoft for Linux and, and, and so on. Similarly, hey, everyone knows who the big software vendors are that have a huge footprint in the federal government. So our adversaries have really public, good public information on where they're going to go look to focus an attack. Similarly for us on the federal side, I think there's a lot of the, uh, the FISMA way of approaching things where one group would look to find signs of weakness, one group would have to go figure out how to close the weakness, and we'd have tons of little situations where we would kind of divide our resources up. And really, we are learning to say, no, we have to bring more and more groups together. You know, we know that there's certain things that adversaries do over and over again. And we have to do a much better job of sharing information inside agencies, sharing information with CISA, and doing so in a way where we can lead to, where we can come together and build in cohesive strategies and how we're going to prevent uh, attackers from taking advantage from these zero-day vulnerabilities as we go forward. One of the things that, that I think has, has come from this, uh, specifically the pandemic, but I think also we can attribute it to the zero to the uh, zero day attacks is the understanding of zero trust, what it is, how does it work, why do agencies need to move in that direction? How's the FTC starting to look at and start to implement certain aspects of zero trust? So the way we looked at it is for every kind of a compliance test out there that's for, you know, for the NIST 853 series. There are always these gaps. There are these exceptions you make for some old legacy system, for some 
old account that is tough to upgrade or tough to move to multi-factor authentication. And we want to put much more visibility on those exceptions. Why are they still there? Why do they continue? What can we do to get rid of them? Because at the end of the day, that's what the attackers will take advantage of in a zero-day attack. They're going to have an idea of where your exceptions might already be in your environment. And they're just going to seek out to take advantage of them because they're, you know, it's already there. So for us, when we think about zero trust, it is literally zeroing out any exceptions that we make in our environment for things that may need an exception for a certain scenario. Well, let's make sure we have control, controls in place so that exception could only be used for those scenarios. And let's use our monitoring tools to highlight visibility on those exceptions. So that we're always testing them. We're always validating that those exceptions are being used correctly and they're not permanently in place. Because at the end of the day, when we look at monitoring in our environment, we're always trying to find a way to continuously improve. And we're always trying to find a way to reduce the ways an attacker could take action on our network. That's an interesting concept around zero trust. Usually we hear, when we talk about zero trust with other agencies and other CIOs, you hear a lot about, well, we want to, it's, it's all about identity and access management. You know, does Raghav have access to this database? How, what can he do with this database? What can he do with the data in the database? I'm sure you're going down that path too, but, but give me some understanding of why you're looking at these exceptions, maybe not maybe well, at first, but in parallel. Oh, absolutely. So the, the reality is, you know, the, the overwhelming majority of accounts in every federal network are going to be protected by multi-factor authentication, and they're going to be regularly tested. You know, they're going to be part of our ATUs and ATO process. We're always going to have these questions where, okay, hey, let's make sure Jason Miller, you know, isn't using... 20 passwords to get in, make sure he gets locked out after three. We always think about the routine case and that's what we normally test against. That's normally what we try to focus a lot of our energy on. But in many cases, you know, what is the attacker going to do? They're going to come in, they're going to try to actually elevate their privileges. So they're going to try to be an administrator or try to pretend to be a service account. So we know the attackers will take these very fundamental pivots because when they make those pivots, those are the accounts that are really powerful and they can do some significant damage in the network. So we almost have to heighten our sense of awareness and sense of vulnerability for how those accounts are used. We kind of take it for granted, oh, this account is used by a system administrator. That person probably really knows what they're doing. No, in fact, you know, we should always, the, the point about zero trust is we're always validating trust. And in that case, hey, if we're issuing accounts with certain elevated privileges, with certain uh, access rights that are unique and powerful. That is uh, elevating our level of accountability that we expect from our organization to make sure we adequately monitor them. So absolutely, are we doing a ton of work with identity and access management? Yeah, I just think, you know, if we have to, when we look at the broad, broad spectrum of all the accounts that are out there, we have to understand that there are certain accounts that are much more vulnerable than others, and we have to make sure we focus energy and attention on them appropriately. Without uh, revealing all your state secrets that you have, are you making some progress with that? And, and, and how are you measuring success? Oh, uh, you know, in, in, I think it's fair to say that the most important thing I, I think I'd want uh, your listeners to know is that I don't think it's rocket science in terms of you know how to think about these. I think CISA has done a really, really excellent job at highlighting to all the federal agencies what to look out for and what to protect against. I think the, the thing that we've tried to do uh, in terms of our, 
approach to these things, we want to get everyone involved. We want to have the cyber uh, security in our organization to be successful, which means we need a lot more people to be involved in problem solving around these scenarios. So if there is something that we are doing that uh, I'd want, I'd want a lot more people to be uh, to learn from is, hey, let's expand the pool of people who have access to the reports to see what what is going on that may not be in line with what what our, what our expectations are. We really need to expand the number of eyes that are part of the cybersecurity program to look at all these different actions across our network. I know at a certain point we all want to try and go for these automated solutions, but even the automated solutions need to be programmed and need to be tuned to focus on those things that are important. So for, for me, the, the way I've looked at it and try to encourage in our organization is, it is a team sport when it comes to cybersecurity. And we shouldn't just expect that one team, the CISO shop to do it. We need all the operators. We need all the project managers. We need the requirements, teams that are pulling stuff together. We need to really be part of our institutional culture when it comes to cybersecurity. You know, I think the last uh, almost 18 months has really alerted us to the fact that like I said before, our adversaries, they're clearly operating as a team and we need to we need to act in the same way. I think we're seeing that more with CISA and some of the alerts and some of the work they're trying to do to bring people together. So I think uh, that advice is being taken to heart across the government. Uh, Raghav, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. I think there's a little bit more to talk about security. Mm-hmm. My guest today is Raghav Vajula the Chief Information Officer at the Federal Trade Commission. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Aruba Networks on Federal News Network. You got into public service to help citizens not push paper. All that time and money that could have been spent serving people is wasted on paperwork. The FedRAMP Moderate DocuSign Agreement Cloud for Government lets public servants focus on their mission instead of paperwork. Join the more than 1,300 federal, state, and local government agencies that use DocuSign for managing electronic forms, agreements, applications, correspondence management, and approval processes by visiting DocuSign.com gov. Bridge the existing with the emerging. When the competitive ground shifts, you need to be ready. With MicroFocus's enterprise-grade scalable software, government agencies are modernizing their legacy systems. With MFGS Inc., agencies are able to stay mission-focused and compliant with government regulatory mandates while enabling innovation through cybersecurity, predictive analytics, DevSecOps, and hybrid cloud software. Learn more at mfgsinc.com. That's mfgsinc.com. A federal career can last 30 years or more, and so can your federal retirement. Tune in for your benefit every Monday morning to get the information you need to plan your retirement, maximize your federal benefits, and increase your financial savvy. For Your Benefit, presented by NITP and sponsored by WEPA, offers valuable information on topics of interest to the federal employee. Join us each Monday at 10.05 a.m. on Federal News Network. For additional information, visit NITPINC.com. Here's Aaron Heffron, the president of Market Connections on Market Chat, bringing clarity to the clutter in government marketing. In a demonstration, it seems much more personal, and you can create that sort of connection that with the individual by providing them content. I mean, they may want the product demos, but as part of those product demos, they really want the nuts and bolts of what does it mean. Listen to the entire discussion at federalnewsnetwork.com. Search Market Chat. 
Government Marketing University is an innovative learning platform that applies a collaborative, community-based approach towards knowledge sharing and skills development in the field of public sector marketing. Experts from all corners of the U.S. public sector marketplace, marketers, thought leaders, government, media, and sales, are contributing their knowledge to this unique, content-rich platform. Government Marketing University offers training, research, certifications, mentoring, and community resources all in one place. Learn more at gmarku.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Aruba Networks on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Raghav Vajula, the Chief Information Officer at the Federal Trade Commission. Now, Raghav, before break, we're talking a lot about security, we're talking a lot about zero trust. You also mentioned this idea of moving to or taking advantage of SD-WAN, software-defined networking. Talk to me a little bit about what the benefits are of SD-WAN and how is FTC moving in that direction? You know, when we started, Jason, we talked about, hey, what is that next wave measuring you know, success into the cloud? And we talked about uh, we want to move more and more, more and more of our work into the cloud itself. Well, a big part of that is, hey, let's uh, let's find ways to not have to come back into the building to do something new to our network or to modify our network. And that's what we're really hoping to achieve with our software-defined network approach, is that we want to really move all of our network orchestration and management into the cloud. And one, I think that benefits our ability to manage it from anywhere. But more importantly, you know, we have a nationwide workforce at the Federal Trade Commission. And the big impact we hope to get out of software-defined networking is that regardless of where our customers are working here you know, in, the, in the United States or around the world, whenever they're trying to access you know, our systems and our data, it should be trivial for them or any, any experience that they might have that's associated with network latency or distance or geography, it's trivial. It's not impacting their experience and their ability to get their work done. So really twofold things, uh, greatly easing our burden of administration of our network and in doing so, greatly ease and streamline and create a, a, friction, a more frictionless experience for our customers in accessing our systems and data. When you talk about SD-WAN, one of the things that comes to mind is this idea of, you mentioned it, how do you manage it? How do you orchestrate it? How do you, how do you address challenges without having to come into the office? What goes into doing that? I mean, obviously there's tools. What, what do you need to do to now to, to get FTC to that place? It is a big combination of uh, old tech and new tech. You know, no matter you know what you do, it is it is still a it is still a piece of fiber in the ground going from point A to point B. There's a lot of logistics in terms of scheduling that with uh, with all of our vendors, and at the same time, we're bringing in new equipment uh, on site to make sure you know as much as we want to orchestrate it from anywhere. There's always these network appliances that we need to upgrade to make sure as our environment is changing, as data is increasing in its consumption. And it's and it's tran and in transit, we want to have the capability to monitor that need for more bandwidth and supply it as quickly as possible as we identify it. I think the the market has done a really tremendous job in helping you know build new tools and techniques so that there are multiple connections now available at any one of our uh, facilities. So if any one goes down, the other ones can pick up the slack. There are ways to to monitor our data transmission rates across the country so we can really get a good sense of when the big spike in demand is going to come and plan accordingly. So there's tremendous benefit in, in just having information ready at hand to then take action on and do it in a way before our customers experience any kind of adverse uh, impact to their day-to-day -day work. Uh, it's a uh, 
I think it really has a lot of potential. You know, we talk so much about cloud services. What people forget sometimes is the network is doing so much of the work when it comes to cloud services. For the data to get to that server in the cloud, well, it's got to go from point A to point B. And it's got to be done reliably. You know, not a single packet can get lost in moving those uh, files across uh, all of our networks. So we're really looking forward to uh, seeing SD-WAN just remove uh, networking, you know, ideally as this activity is constant uh, care and in fact being something that can we trust more to be kind of routinely automated for routine reliability for all of our customers. I think that's a great point. A lot of times people get all excited about the cloud but realize the data, right? It's always about the data. Where is the data? Where does it have to go from point A to point B? First, let's talk a little bit about the data from a security slash network management perspective. How much you mentioned the spike. We know when the spike is coming, you know, whether it's today or in the future, are you able to say, at this time of the week or this day of the month, we know we get a lot of input from our um, uh, the people who report into FTC. So are you are you hopeful to, or are able to currently say we're going to add more capacity for Thursday through you know Sunday because we know we get a lot of uh, information that day. But turn it back down, you know Monday through Wednesday. Is that something you're able to do or? or I'd say I think for us we we're we're looking at the the data and analytics we get of software defined networking to figure out what is our steady state you know, for the week. And the great thing about, you know, software-defined networks is, especially when we're, you know, when we were able to transmit our data securely through a software-defined network appliance and then transmit the data over uh, public, public ethernet connections. That alone is tremendously impactful for us in giving us a much, much better financial basis for how we manage our bandwidth needs. So it's a combination of two things. One is it gives us the data to not only tune our environment, but it gives us the capability to use much more cost-effective network transmission rates across our entire network. So, you know, with that, we're able to, to give ourselves more wiggle room. We don't have to be so fine in terms of determining how much data we need. And that way we give a lot more flexibility. So I would say when we think about using software-defined networks in terms of the data that it offers and the cost-effectiveness that it offers, we really want to do it in a way that gives our customers the flexibility to do the work when they find it convenient for them. Uh, we want to actually try to use these advantages that we get from these new services so we don't have to be in the situation that you talked about, where you have to tell your customer base, hey, Thursday, you know, that's the day to do the really big file transfer day. I don't think you know any of our agencies work like that. The mission doesn't really allow for it. So we need to, you know have a capability that allows the mission to proceed effectively and efficiently whenever called to do so. The data piece on the other side of the coin now comes around security, understanding your network. For instance, if there is a problem, if CISA sends out another emergency directive next month, mm -hmm. when you move to an SD-WAN and have network management tools, you're able to hopefully, and, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, I'm sure, is, is make a patch, send that patch out, patch that part of the network that needs it, versus maybe current on-prem, it's much more complex. Well, you know, for example, right now with everyone distributed, you know, we, we always think about how to, how to patch effectively regardless of where people are. I think the, the piece there that SD-WAN kind of helps us in that. Uh, no, number one, I think we're really excited about having a much better capability of filtering out the noise uh, using SD-WAN. Like really isolating, oh, these are the, the expected encrypted traffic channels that we normally expect and monitoring that from a security perspective. 
in terms of getting data from point A to point B, the thing that we really are, uh, again, looking forward to is you want to have a reliable transmission. And we don't want to have just a single point of failure where there's only one network connection into every edge appliance. The huge benefit of SD-WAN is you're able to get two or three different types of technologies connecting. So you have multiple routes of, or multiple ways to connect from point A to point B uh, than you might've had uh, in prior uh, types of technology. Raghav, we've talked a lot about the technology and the SD-WAN and the zero trust and all that excitement, but really this comes back down to the people, the workforce and how they are adjusting and how they are leading the way to adjust to this new changes. So give me a sense to uh, FTC, how are you addressing these challenges and ensuring the workforce is, is ready? I think I'm proud of, the, of, the, of what the federal workforce has accomplished the last several years. I think uh, there's so many things that you know you have to learn along the way to modernize our environments, and it's not just technology. You know, how do you get the budgets to work? How do you get the procurement process to execute? How do you get you know the new security policies updated? How do you negotiate uh, educating the the uh, the FISMA evaluators on your new way of doing things? So for, for me, I really am grateful for our workforce and they've just done a you know, tremendous job of adapting and learning so many new things. And I think one thing that has kind of you know, stood out for me the last couple of years is there's a tremendous capacity and capability in the federal workforce to learn and grow. I think a couple of years ago, we, we were focusing on you know, learning from our mistakes and we definitely, hey, every agency has definitely made mistakes along the way that you know, the first one is trying to get something out of the cloud. But more and more now, hey, we're learning from our successes. You know, since we last talked, we, you know, we had put out that you know, blanket purchase agreement. And I think now we've got about seven task orders on it, you know, one you know, after another. And with each one, we're getting smarter and we're getting better results along the way as we're learning more and more about how to be agile and be nimble, not just with the technology, but with the budgets, with the, with the, with the contracting and learning how to be opportunistic to get the most out of every dollar that we put out there. And there is one other group too that I think is a big part of this and that is our customers. There are so many people in the federal workforce who, you know, they didn't know what Zoom was until, or WebEx or any of these tools that are out there were until, you know, for the last year. And now it's become such a huge part of our, you know, day-to-day -day, uh, work. And, I think overall throughout our workforce, you know, we you know, we pride ourselves on being one of the best places to work in the federal government. And, you know, I think we will continue to do so. And in, in a large part is a reflection of I think the workforce has done a really remarkable job in just buying into the fact that, hey, this is an environment where we'll be constantly learning. So let's keep on constantly learning and getting better and better with it. Very nice. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can uh, finish up our conversation. My guest today is Raghav Vajula the Chief Information Officer at the Federal Trade Commission. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Aruba Networks on Federal News Network. Wisdom served daily. Experience the difference of the journalists at Federal News Network. For more than 20 years, SolarWinds has been a global leader in IT management and monitoring solutions. We give government agencies the tools they need to improve performance, reduce costs, and streamline operations. SolarWinds provides powerful, affordable, and secure products that deliver unified visibility and scalable monitoring across geographically distributed networks and hybrid IT infrastructures. Monitor and manage your critical environments with SolarWinds. To learn more, visit solarwinds.com government. <laughs> 
Join Kerasoft for the third annual Gov Forward Multi-Cloud Series Policy Headliner Summit on Tuesday, July 20th. This virtual event brings together federal government and industry leaders to discuss FedRAMP policy changes, marketplace technology advances, success stories, and best practices. Hear from Congressman Jerry Connolly, the sponsor of the FedRAMP Authorization Act, and executives from the GSA FedRAMP Program Office, DISA, and NIH. Register today. Visit govforward.com slash you got into public service to help citizens not push paper. All that time and money that could have been spent serving people is wasted on paperwork. The FedRAMP Moderate DocuSign Agreement Cloud for Government lets public servants focus on their mission instead of paperwork. Join the more than 1,300 federal, state, and local government agencies that use DocuSign for managing electronic forms, agreements, applications, correspondence management, and approval processes by visiting DocuSign.com gov. Federal News Network. Federal News Network. There are nearly 2 billion websites in the world. But there's only one that matters to the federal IT community. Welcome to AskTheCIO.com, the longest-running program on federal IT, featuring Federal News Network's executive editor, Jason Miller. AskTheCIO.com. Exclusive CIO and IT decision-maker interviews, breaking news, on-demand and updated daily. Sign up at AskTheCIO.com and become an insider with full access to federal IT news, special events, and actionable intel. AskTheCIO.com. In these uncertain times, Federal News Network can help you navigate your agency's response to coronavirus. Download our app and read our coronavirus resource page with the latest news and information on your agency's evolving telework, pay and leave policies, acquisition guidance, and what this all means for your TSP. We are here to serve you, the dedicated federal employees and contractors who continue to serve your mission. The Federal News Network app, available on the App Store and on Google Play. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Aruba Networks on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Raghav Vajula, the Chief Information Officer at the Federal Trade Commission. Now, Raghav, we've talked a lot about network network management, the cloud. We've talked about security a little bit. I know that's not everything you're working on. So what else are you working on? What else are you trying to get done over the next six or nine months? With the federal data strategy and all the work that's going on the Chief Data Officer Council, for us, we took that as an opportunity to kind of revisit a lot of what we're doing internally in terms of data management and application management. You know, on the one hand, the, the federal data strategy talk is a very, very much talks about getting data out and sharing it with the public. But that is getting good quality data out to the public is a direct reflection of our ability to manage data and manage the applications uh, that maintain that data, uh, getting them to be as accurate as possible. And what we're hoping, you know, what we're excited about is we made tremendous progress in bringing on a lot of uh, really great new cloud service platforms into our environment over the last couple of years. Uh, we're seeing that as an opportunity to capitalize on really updating our internal applications and services. You know, so much about that first, all the, the first round of success stories with the cloud have been for public facing services, uh, have been about for, you know, commodity infrastructure, obviously the networking and security things that we've talked about on this talk today. Every agency has a whole suite of internal applications that, you know, you know for our case that we rely on uh, just to be effective on our day-to-day -day processing of our, of our work on, on the mission. So that is, our, that is our focus really over the next six to nine months is put together a vision for a cohesive vision of how we want to look at all of our internal applications and all of our internal data in a way that's going to lead to a good perspective and a great plan 
for how to improve all of our internal operations, not just you know, in the immediate future, but set up a sustainable continuous improvement model that can really take advantage of uh, what all the cloud service platforms uh, bring to us. You bring up the federal data strategy. You, you were very kind. You did not mention you are actually also not just the CIO. You're the chief data officer for FTC. Uh, I imagine that's still your title, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's a, it's kind of, I've, I've heard many times, that's actually a nice feeling for the CIO to be the CDO because you, you there's no one who you're asking permission to. Mm -hmm. You say to yourself, do we want to share this data? Yes, we do. And then you can go forward. When you talk about the internal processes and cleaning that up and ensuring the data is there, is that a matter of moving things to the cloud or they're already on the, in the cloud, but, but modernizing them? Is this robotics process automation? Give me a sense of what you guys are looking at. First of all, it is, it is a partnership. I think uh, what I do as a CIO has a different perspective on it than what I do as a CDO. And the benefit of, of having those two roles in one place is I think uh, it's much more transparent to take advantage of opportunities that are already budgeted, already procured, and already secured. So that way there's a, it's a great you know, synergy between those two roles. In another sense, it's, it's kind of difficult because as part of the CDO, process, CDO role, we have a data governance board. It brings in resources from across the agency. And really the voice of the CDO is in many cases, the voice of the mission. What is the data? What are the services that we need to execute our mission much more effectively internally? So I'd say in terms of how that plays out for us, I think in the, in the CDO role, having a data governance board in place, our big focus right now is identifying what are those key internal resources that need to be revisited and updated so we can have a clear line of data that's collected, data that's used for making decisions, and then data what's, that's released later on to the public and in support of the federal data strategy. Uh, it's, uh, especially with an ACS with a law enforcement mission, we have a variety of checks and balances. We have a variety of things that we have to comply with uh, to make sure we're not only sharing information publicly, but do it in a way that's consistent with our ability uh, to enforce the law and protect consumers. The key piece here that I, I hear again is, is understanding the data you have, mm -hmm. how it's going to be used and, and where does it need to go. And, and, and I think the, the end goal is, in many ways is to help drive decision make, making as well. When you talk about the partnership and your data governance council, can you walk me a little bit through how that works? And it's the mission side, it's the mm -hmm. other CXOs. Walk me through a little bit of how that setup works. We've talked at various times about, you know, how does artificial intelligence and machine learning and RPA and all these things, you know, come together on this. For us, well, we want to take a baby steps first. And the, the first key thing to understand is that when it comes to the data for the organization, the data stewards, the people who are most familiar with that, with assessing the quality of the data, they're always going to be on the mission side. So before we can implement any kind of technology, whether it's artificial intelligence, machine learning, or RPA, we want to make sure with the business, there's a clear understanding of what does it mean to say that this is a data asset, you know, is a trusted data asset. It has been vetted. It can be used to make decisions. Uh, this data asset, hey, it's not only not accurate, it's not worth collecting in the first place. So we should just try and find a way to eliminate it you know, from our workflows. So with that, we really need, uh, there needs to be a partnership between you know, when I'm wearing my, you know, where I'm working as a CDO and all the other parties from across the agency. Because they're the ones who have the best sense of 
what is the data to process a review of a merger? What is the data that's re that's required to look at you know a variety of different kinds of enforcement actions? It has been a great learning process for the entire organization because we're really getting building a community of people where I think before we had a lot of applications many agencies have developed have kind of grew up and grown up in silos. And we're taking the approaches we want to build a broad base of a broad community of people who are familiar with the data from all of these applications across the entire agency. We talked earlier a little about the workforce and you mentioned how they they really are reacting to these changes. Is that an area when you talk about data and the skill sets and the tool sets that you also are starting to go down that path and say, what does our workforce need to know? What tools do they need to have in order to make this data valuable, both from an internal perspective, but also as you work with your, your customers in the public? I think the workforce is excited. I think people understand that decision-making with data, it is, it is what the future is going to be about across the board, regardless of what industry you're in. So the workforce is excited. And I think people are you know, very engaged in learning about these you know, new tools. So that, I think, has been a huge, huge plus for us at the FTC. Uh, in, in general, I think uh, we bring in people who are very analytical. That doesn't mean that they have done a a ton of work with statistical tools or anything like that before, but just by the nature of what we do at the FTC, you know, we do have to look at tons of content and data when we, you know, pursue our law enforcement actions. And whether it's part of an investigation, whether it's part of reviewing a, a merger filing, so many resources already in the agency have have a built-in capability for being analytical in in their work. So in that sense, it's been a it's been a good good experience and people are, I think, going to enjoy learning and getting the training to use these new tools as we go forward. Uh, obviously, I think just in general, uh, in terms of the federal government's ability to recruit and retain, you know, pure data scientists, that is an ongoing challenge, not just, and that's across the board uh, in, in the entire federal government. I think for our case, uh, we're going to seek to build from within and take advantage of the skill sets that are already in place uh, here at the FTC. Uh, Raghav, we're out of time for today. This has been a great conversation, so let me thank my guest. Raghav Vajula is the Chief Information Officer at the Federal Trade Commission. Raghav, great to have you back on the show. Thank you, Jason. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Aruba Networks on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.